Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. Super excited for you to listen to this interview with Andy Crouch. It's extremely thought-provoking. I think you're going to get a ton out of it. Before we jump into that, though, I do want to remind you that this is the last week to get our early bird pricing for our retreat. It's the first ever Dad Tired annual retreat. We're going to get together with guys from all over the country, even some guys from around the world, to just worship together, encourage each other, spend time together, encourage each other to be the husbands, fathers, men that God has created us to be. And so I want you to be part of it, but this is the last week before the pricing jumps up. So make sure you go to dadtire.com forward slash retreat to get signed up for that. It'll be in September of 2022. Before we jump into this episode, I do want to thank my friends over at High Health for sponsoring today's podcast. I know some of you dads listening may not be giving too much thought about the vitamins that your kids are taking, or maybe you just leave it up to your wife to make those decisions, but I want to challenge you to give this some thought. High Health was actually started by two dads who realized the vitamins they were giving their kids were essentially sugar-filled candy in disguise, so they decided to do something about it. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables, and we all know that what kids eat instead are chicken fingers, mac and cheese, processed foods, ice cream, and more, and the vitamins that are supposed to fill in those nutritional gaps are based on out-of-date nutritional guidelines from the 1980s. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. My kids absolutely love these vitamins. They're made from 12 farm-fresh fruits and vegetables and supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals known to help support a healthy immune system, energy levels, brain function, mood, teeth, bones, and more. Most children's vitamins are filled with 5 grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. It's manufactured here in the United States with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Dad-tired listeners receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com forward slash dad-tired or enter the code DADTIRED at checkout. That's H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash DADTIRED, HIAHEALTH.com slash DADTIRED, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Again, go to HIAHEALTH.com forward slash DADTIRED, or enter the promo code DADTIRED at checkout. Andy, it's so great to have you back, man. The first time that you were here, we were talking about your book, TechWise Family, which was just such a huge gift. That was one of my favorite books at that time, reading through it that year. I really enjoyed it. And I know our listeners got a ton out of that episode. And then as a result, later getting your book and getting tons of great resources and tips and wisdom from that. But you're back. You got new books. You're doing new stuff, man. Tell us what you're up to these days. Four years later. Four years later, uh, I'm four years tireder, wiser. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here you go. <laughs> but yeah, I'm no longer, no longer as tired as a dad in some ways because the kids are both out of the house now. So mm. I, that eventually happens, at least uh, for a while. There can be boomerang things. But, yeah. Um, yeah. What's that so, been like? What's that been like? Well, there's some grief in it. <laughs> I will tell you, especially when the house is uh, empty, except for Catherine, my wife, and me. At the same time, actually, something I just didn't realize was how, in a very good and appropriate way, my attention was always divided between the different people in the house when Mm. the kids were home. And when they're off doing their thing, I am able to attend to my wife in a way that is 
in some ways we had never done because we lived with other people who were not our family in kind of household settings, which we might want to talk about a little bit today from day one of our marriage. And so this is actually our first time living in a house, just two people. And How long so have you been married? It's embarrassing. I can't do the math instantly. 26 years, I believe. 19, 20, 26, 26 years. Yes. Yeah, 20, 27, 28, something like that. <laughs> I, won't, I, won't, I won't send her the episode. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so 27 years. And this is the first time you guys have lived to, like without other people in the house. Yes. Yes. Because we had oh. housemates for the first six years of our marriage. Wow. Um, yeah. In addition to the kids coming along. So, yeah. So just being able to pay attention to one person turns out to be a good thing and a beautiful thing. And the kids do return in various ways. So yeah. parenting is so not over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you know, so I, not over. I feel like a lot of guys in the back of their mind secretly worry about what their marriage is going to be oh. like when the kids are gone. Oh, I think that would be very common and, yeah. and not crazy, honestly, because, and I would say for Catherine and me, it's been bumpy, but with a lot of blessing, but you know, you've, I mean, well, you know, you've adapted for better and for worse to the presence of these <laughs> little munchkins yep. who take up a lot of attention in some ways, the, even more intensely in the teenage years in, in some mm. ways. And suddenly that project is now at least in a very different phase. And so the question of like, what do we do together? The child raising part or the mm. family part, that's very real. And there's lots of stories from friends of mine and in my own life of, of the adjustments and like having to revisit like conflicts that just got shelved or questions about who are we, who are we in relation to each other? Like these all come back in a completely new way with any big change, but certainly with the departure of, if you've been trying to do this seriously, like really be parents together, it's such a big part of your life. And now that work is sort of, again, not gone, but different. I was apprehensive. I would say now I'm very grateful and mm. encouraged actually, but I pre-feel those things. I like I'm, I'm pre-apprehensive <laughs> yeah. and pre-excited about it. Like I, yeah, yeah. Because even when we go on dates, you know, like we'll get a, the my mother-in-law will watch the kids, so we can get away for a date. And even finding like an hour to not talk about the kids can be hard. Right. You know? Right. You and you try, and we're both that... intentional about that. We're both like, hey, wow. like, you know, we both know, like, hey, let's, you know, let's just connect. But yes. still, it's just it feels almost impossible to not yep. talk about the kids. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Exactly. I will say you still talk about the kids after they leave. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, you talk about markers like, what is going on? And yeah. <laughs> how bad is it? Or how good is it? And, oh, yeah. But uh, wow. yeah, very real. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable on that. That's, uh, I think that's something I don't really think about a lot. But like I said, I think a lot of mm. us guys who have young kids still in the home, I think it's just kind of subconsciously always in the back of our mind. And will pop yeah. up from time to time. Like, what is life going to be like when it's just her yeah. and I and the kids aren't yeah. here in the house? So any advice, I guess, before we move on from that yeah. topic, like what would you say for us? Well, if I could do something differently, you know, if I could rewind, I would say it's sort of what you mentioned, like make the intentional time along the way to have some other dimensions of your life that you're deeply doing together. My wife works outside the home. She has a really demanding job, a wonderful job. Mm. Uh, I have a demanding job. So our work lives are very separate. I travel a lot. That's a very mixed thing for any marriage. 
And I think that in retrospect, we realize too much of our joint project was the child raising and not enough was other things that we also did together that would last right beyond the active child raising phase. So intentionally making sure every family is different, every marriage is different, but making sure that there's some context where you're really digging into meaningful, fun collaboration with your spouse. I would have done more of that ahead of time. If I'd yeah. been a little more aware of of some of these things. Yeah. In my tired dad brain mind right now, I'm trying to think like, what could, like, what, what do you even world do? Could that be? Like, what, <laughs> like, you know, my wife and I, what, our like thing right now is like, when we put the kids to bed, we'll like watch a documentary or we'll watch the news That's or good. something and just like yeah. talk about yeah. something other than the yes. kids. So good. But, good. but I mean, that's like. You get like 40 minutes of that before we're both snoring. And it's that's like, <laughs> very reasonable. Very reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that's good advice, man. I appreciate that. You wrote a new book, which I'm super, I love the premise of it, but I want to hear from your own words. Like what was the question that you were trying to answer or the problem that you were trying to solve when you were writing this book? I knew I needed to write, you know, I wrote a book called The TechWise Family. It's very specifically about how to, like mostly about how to parent and create a a healthy home with all this stuff uh, that now fills our lives. I knew I wanted to write another book about the bigger picture that wasn't just about home life, but kind of what is our pursuit of the technological dream, which is the dream that our whole society is pursuing, doing to us as people. And if I would sum up the problem in a word or in a phrase, it would be, we are the most powerful people in history like by any measure, just the things we're able to get done in the world as individuals and collectively. And by there's all kinds of indications that we are the most lonely people in history, the most depressed people in history, and the most anxious people in history. And those two things have happened at the same time. And you would not have expected it. Like you would have thought, well, gosh, if we can solve all these problems and engineer all these solutions, surely we'll be better off at the end. And we do not there's not a lot of evidence we are better off in some really important fundamental ways. We are better off in some ways. We're living longer. We have certain kinds of physical health. There's a lot of diseases that don't kill us, things that used to kill people that don't kill us generally. Those of us who have access to kind of modern technological medical care and all that, it's it's clearly there have been advantages, but something is wrong. Something feels off. And I think most people feel it. And maybe the most common way it's phrased is loneliness. So the question was, could it be that actually the power and the loneliness come from the same source or, or like the most powerful people and the most lonely people for the same reason? And I think it, we are. I think we are. So this book is basically about the dream we've been chasing with what we learned about the world. Because what we learned about the world is science. What we do with it is technology, right? And technology is what we've built in the service of a dream. And I think the dream is off. It's wrong. And therefore, it's really bad for us. Even though it's great for corporations making money, it's really bad for persons who want to live full lives. And then the other thing the book's about is what can we do differently? Because I actually think we can totally change course. In some ways, you and I today can change course over time Our whole neighborhoods and communities can change course and our nation could, and our world could change course, but not unless we choose it because the direction we're going right now, I don't think is good for people. And yet it has a powerful logic and there's powerful forces animating it. And so this book 
the life we're looking for <laughs> is about like, what do we actually want from life and what do we want from tech and how do we change what we're building and designing? Does that make sense? It does, but I want to- That, that dive, was long. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it makes sense. I just want to dive deeper into it. So like when, yeah. when you talk about that dream that we're chasing, I think some of us, we don't know we're chasing a dream. It's just kind of built into right. we're right. like we're floating in a river. We don't know we're floating down, you know? Yeah. So I yeah. guess what would you say- the dream it like if you could sum up that what is the dream that we're either consciously or subconsciously chasing yeah it's a word you actually hear a surprising amount these days given that it comes from a kind of fantasy world in a way mm. we're chasing superpowers so superpowers mm. i don't know if you've run into this but especially if you work like an in information technology or like work technology like so the app that processes my email tells me we're going to give you mail superpowers and hmm. you know if you're a coder you know you can sign on to these like sites that say we'll give you coding superpowers and i think the dream of superpowers is very close to the heart of what we all find actually quite intoxicating about technology so like i could feel like right now i've got communication superpowers i'm on zoom i'm talking with jared our conversation is going to be recorded. My voice is going to go all kinds of places that I can't personally go, right? So if power is the ability to do something meaningful, let's say in the world, and often power means doing it against some resistance or with some difficulty. So a superpower is being able to do way more, but with less effort and difficulty. So Superman, one of the original superpower people, can fly through the air and he's not even working as hard as a bird flies, right? When a bird mm. flies, it has to flap his wings and he seems to just sort of point his hands yeah. and decide to fly. And he's like, woo, here you go, right? <laughs> so superpower is more effect, less effort. Interesting. So okay. I imagine at least that I'm getting more done in the world, but it's taking less of my effort, whether it's heart, soul, mind, or strength. And this is why we adopt any given technology. We're like, oh, this is gonna make my life easier that is less effortful and more productive at more effect. And it clearly works in a certain way, but the problem with superpowers, there's several problems with them, <laughs> but the basic problem is if you end up with a life that never requires effort, you end up an undeveloped human being because we are developed by strain by stress, uh, the good kind of stress, like when I'm trying to lift a weight at the limit of my strength, we're developed by difficulty. We're even relationally, like when we have to work through conflict, right? That we grow through difficulty. And when you imagine a world in which you can get everything you want without having to grow or develop, <laughs> you're imagining the technological world. <laughs> does that make, make sense? It what, does. what are you thinking? Yeah. What... <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. The other day I was driving with my wife, Layla, and I was saying so much of the things that we consider suffering like two generations ago, would that's like normal life. You know, that's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like this is normal. What do you mean you're suffering? This is like normal life, you know? <laughs> so that was one thought that I had as you were describing oh my that. Gosh, um, yes. But I guess when you think, because obviously there was a point in history where that we've always been innovating to the point of making human life more comfortable, right? Like yes, in, uh, inventions yes. are always trying to make things a little bit more productive yes. and easier. But then there was like a, there had to be a tipping there point was where a that phase just- phase change. Yeah, yeah. It, went, it exponentially started to move rapidly. Ex in a, exactly. In different... And I would say that, no, you're exactly right. So humanities, we've always tried to create tools. We've always tried to kind of mitigate the risks of being human in the world and the difficulty of being human in the world. That's why we have shelter. It's why we, you know- yeah why we discover fire. 
the thing is that up until the technological era, those things were basically in the category of what I would call tools and tools require human effort and skill to use. Now they do extend human effort and skill, but they require a human being to be involved. And the shift, the moment when it started to change is when we started to create what I would call devices. I'm borrowing this word from a philosopher of technology named Albert Borgman, but, but he uses this word devices and devices you can think of as things that give us what we want without us having to expend effort or skill. So I want to talk with Jared. Well, let's like go super pre-technological. I could get on a horse and go from where I am today in Martindale, Texas, not where I live, but it's where I am today. Get on a horse and go to where you are. I won't say where you are. In case that's, that's how like everyone imagines, by the way, somebody from Texas going somewhere to the state. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it used to be the only way, especially for long distances and the yeah. distances yeah. are long in Texas, right? Yeah. But well, first of all, I, I flew here last night on a plane. So this is like a superpower, right? With no effort, I was transported from Philadelphia to somewhere between Austin and San Antonio, like just, I mean, practically instantly, three and a half hours, right? Yeah. Now, or what I'm doing right now is I don't even have to move. I literally don't have to move my body at all to talk with you. I just open up a, a Zoom link. That's a superpower. Like, wow, now I'm connecting with this person I want to talk with. I've done nothing with my body. <laughs> I've done almost nothing with my mind because one of the things technology does makes it super easy. I didn't have to like code a telecom system. I just like make use of it. And what this means is that with just taking these two examples, like us having this conversation and then me traveling, we're here to see some friends for the weekend, but traveling by plane, I have gotten everything I want, but it hasn't required anything of me like to make these trips, you could say. Yeah. If I were riding a horse to see you, like by the time I got there, because we're uh, maybe a thousand miles away from each other right now, it would take a couple of weeks, but I would be completely different. I'd be physically different. Like I'd be stronger. I'd be, and I would have gone past through the world and experienced day after day, like, I don't know, heat, wind, rain, snow, whatever. Like I would have had this heart, soul, mind, strength experience of travel. And instead, because we just opened up a, a technological window, I get the thing I want, but with none of the developmental effort that would actually make me a different person when I showed up to have the conversation with you. <laughs> and that's just one example. And that's, this is of, just one little thing happening today. Right. But my day, when we think about like, oh, I can, you know, I don't know if I'll do this day, but like I can door dash my food. So I'm not going to have to cook. I'm not going to have to prepare anything like food will just arrive at my door. Oh, I need to order something from Amazon. I better do that. So now some system somewhere produces something and it just lands on my door, which I can consume. And all this shrinks the opportunities in my daily life for me to grow, basically. <laughs> so instead, what happens is I start to diminish. So I got in one, I've been traveling this whole week. I got in one 45 minute workout this week and I can live for days without, I mean, truly, I was just sitting and maybe walking like one flight of stairs. It was such a sedentary week, but this is like the life of many of us, not everybody, oh, yeah. people. Oh, yeah. And actually another part of this story is there's this whole world of people who are toiling really hard to give us this magical experience of being able to just hit the DoorDash button or open up the Zoom thing. Like there's a whole bunch of people who are working hard, many of them physically with their bodies, but there's a lot of us who benefit from this technological world who are being reduced. And it's not just physically, though I think that's a huge part of the story, 
but it's also actually in more subtle ways, perhaps our cognitive capacities, our ability to think deeply and carefully and rigorously, our emotional capacities, like when my emotions are all sort of triggered by online things and mediated things rather than encounters with real people or encounters with the natural world, it's shrinking us. (laughs) And the thing about the superpower zone is it feels so like effective, like you feel like you're really getting something done, but you're also becoming less and less at the same time. It's a part of our problem. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's so interesting, man, because I feel like I like to believe I'm a self-aware enough guy that I can have these conversations and I kind of know they're happening. This all this is happening. Yeah. But yeah. even as you're describing it, I'm like, I feel like you've pulled back the curtain almost <laughs> like you showed me the matrix. <laughs> and it's like, oh, dude, I'm living in it. And I yeah. didn't even realize how much I'm just living in this. We completely I, are. And I, the thought I had was, as you describe that, the journey, like if I had to take a horse to come see you and have this conversation, right? That was just one example of all the ways that we're using the superpowers of this world yep. to kind of yep. live our life. I guess I, I was thinking about if you put Jared in today's date in 2022, but I never had all those superpowers, mm-hmm. how would I be different as a man? How would I think differently like what how would my brain operate what would my relationships look like physically what would i look at how would it be different like and that started actually trip me out a little bit i'm like that's a good movie going back to superpowers (laughs) this makes me want to sit on the couch (laughs) but (laughs) my brain just jumped right to us (laughs) i hope someone's producing something that i can consume yeah (laughs) Yeah, just uh i guess i'll just uber and then i'll turn on my tv (laughs) man that is Uh. really really fascinating where do you think we are on that. So the tipping point, you know, we, we moved into a, a really fast production of this kind of superpower living. Where do you think we are on that scale? Or I guess another way to ask that is like, yeah, yeah. where does this go? Right. What does life look like in, right. for our grandkids? Yes. Yes. Our great great question. Great question. First of all, I think it very much depends on us because I do think this thing has a logic and I can play it out for you in a moment. But I think we could totally change the answer to that question as a people, as a society. And you really believe that. You really believe that. I can tell you really believe that. I do. I do. And the reason I believe it is well, first, it's happened before. So, another part of this book, The Life That We're Looking For, is actually a parallel story from a very different time and place, the first century of the, some people call the common era, the first century AD, when there was an empire that it had superpowers, or at least Caesar had superpowers. Like he could order whole legions of military. He controlled this vast area around the Mediterranean rim. And it operated by a kind of technological logic. We could get into that. But at the same time as this empire was like going great, like triumphing, rolling over other territories, assimilating peoples, including the Jews, for example, there was a different movement happening, starting. And we start to get records of it in the 60s. AD, though it's the key moments were in the 30s. And this movement, three centuries later, had totally changed the kind of presuppositions of the Roman Empire. And it's it's obviously the Christian movement. So I believe in the possibility of real change in direction of a whole society. Now, so what's happening right now? And why do I think, why am I kind of especially hopeful right now? We're about a hundred years into the story. We're about three generations. So when I think about my great grandmother, who I I did not know or I don't remember meeting, but I when I imagine her life, it had basically no devices. I mean, she was still washing clothes on a washboard, you know, like 
So she lived before this whole device revolution. We're now three generations in. And I would say there's a couple of things about this moment. The first is uh, it's a moment of disillusionment because if you described the life we've been talking about, this superpower life to our great grandparents, they'd be like, you live the life of kings and queens. Like your life must be so happy. You live in utopia. Like, you know, if I told my great grandmother, I have a, a robot that vacuums my living room. <laughs> She'd be like, you're kidding. That must be amazing. And I'd be like, well, it's okay. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're in this moment of delusion and the book, I call it the boring robots scenario that boring robots is the idea that before robots arrive, they sound like crazy science fiction. This is going to change the world. But once they're actually here, like my vacuuming Roomba robot, it's a little incremental help, I guess, but it doesn't change the world. Right. And, and I actually think that we are far enough in the story to realize if we really pay attention the next iPhone is not going to change my life. Like iPhone 14 or whatever yeah. we're up to now, yeah. you know, the, early on you're like, oh, the next one will be really amazing. And you just eventually realize it will have certain improvements, but the fundamental conditions that make my life either very, very satisfying or really, really empty are not being changed as I add more devices. So, and we are all this is so interesting because there's some ways in which, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, which means I'm committed to certain understandings of how the world is and how it ought to be. And most of my neighbors do not share a lot of the things I believe. And on many of the things I believe they're like, no, no, we really don't want what you're talking about. But on this thing, everybody, no matter their faith or whatever, feels something's wrong. I think most, you walk out your front door, pull your 10 nearest neighbors and say, do you feel great about social media? I'd be surprised if there's one who says, oh, it's all upside. Like it's been such a boon for human relationships (laughs) or, or, you know, everybody's giving their kids phones now, almost everybody, but ask 10 parents like, yeah, we understand why your kid has a phone, but how do you feel about it? I would say eight out of 10 are like, oh boy, it's been messy. I don't really like it, but we sort of have to, you know, because how else do you find out when soccer practice is? So there's this disillusionment. So from here, there are two basic options. The, The thing is, this whole system we've built does serve something very well. And it's what I would call mammon, which is like money's demonic side, the side of money that only wants more money in the world, doesn't actually want more flourishing in the world, doesn't want healthier relationships in the world, but sure does want more money in the world. And technology is like currently designed to serve mammon extremely well, which means there's extremely powerful forces that will keep this thing going. And by the way, oh gosh, I'll try to wrap up this answer. No, it's okay, man. This uh, is good. This is good. Okay. Well, there's one other thing that if we let the logic of mammon keep running, it will keep going because mammon is, is benefiting from this, right? I mean, if you just look at uh, overall, the like stock prices of the companies that control this whole system, they're doing fine. The other thing that's going to happen if we let it go in its natural course is because the technology actually is not going to change our lives in the way we hope. I actually think we will dehumanize more and more people to get the magical results that we want. And this is why the Roman empire was 20 to 30% slaves. That is people who could just be used like essentially like robots, like non-persons that do really hard work in order for a very small sliver of the Romans, the Roman world to live actually very, very delightful in certain material ways, lives. 
And I think that as we keep going through the cycles of disillusionment, we're more and more going to press people into service to get the things that we want that technology can't actually deliver. So that's a whole other dimension of this. Give me an example. Like when you think about yeah, that, what, yeah, what would that for look sure. like? So in, I forget the exact year, 2013 or so, Jeff Bezos calls Charlie Rose of 60 Minutes into a secret, like top secret building owned by Amazon. He's like, I'm going to reveal to you our next big project. And it's drones, drone delivery. We're going to be able to deliver packages within 30 minutes in major cities. And the, the, the little octocopter will just drop it off right in your front door and then lift off. And you probably saw videos about this. And Charlie Rose is like, oh, this is mind blowing. You know, yeah. Jeff Bezos is like, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be so great to be able to cut our delivery times. And, and he's like, it's probably going to take a couple of years. He, he literally said this. He said, I mean, we have to get F FAA approval. It'll, I know it'll be, you know, maybe three or four years. Well, it's been roughly 10 years since that 60 minutes thing. And I think they have tested them and, but I haven't seen a, have you seen a drone? No like drones are coming around my house. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing, A, it's way harder to do, but in the meantime, what Amazon has done back when that 60 minutes episode aired, there was a UPS guy who came by my house many, many days of the week and delivered a package or two. I was a, you know, Amazon prime member. <laughs> And I haven't seen him for years because Amazon built a completely new system that uses all these gig workers who are paid way less than that UPS guy was, who don't have a, a fixed route. So they never get to know the people they serve. Their productivity is relentlessly tracked by devices they have to carry with them literally every step. Like it tracks them from the sidewalk up to my front door and make, you know how all this works. And what's happened is the drones never showed up <laughs> or in another sense, all we had to do is find a whole bunch of people who have no better option than to be treated like a drone and to be pressed into service, doing this pretty unrewarding work, anonymous work. You know, I actually got to know that UPS driver as a person, but I, there's no way I could get to know these different Amazon delivery people because they're a different person each day. Cause it's all algorithm optimized to like send them wherever the most efficient route. And now we have a whole army of people paid by Amazon and they're not paid they can leave the job if they want. They're not slaves, but they're not living full human lives. Like these are not good jobs. This is not good for human beings to do the job they're doing the way they're doing it. Someone has to deliver things, but that UBS driver had such a better job. He knew the people on the streets that he covered. He did that route every day, week after week. He had time to go to the bathroom. Apparently Amazon tracks these folks' times so tightly that many of them carry around bottles in the back of the van. Because oh there, there is no provision of time or place for them to just address the most basic human need. Mm. And this is what's delivering the magical, like, oh, this afternoon, prime delivery. Yeah. You know, I order it now. It's like magic for me. But because the boring robots don't actually work as well as we expect, we're going to press people into service. Interesting. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. Just want to take a quick minute to thank my friends over at Loam for sponsoring today's episode. I just recently discovered, I think you're going to love, and it's going to be helpful for your family. It's called Loam. It's a calendar and a planning tool that you can use to get the whole family involved to bring a little bit of order to probably the chaos that you're feeling in your family. I know I feel this with all the different schedules. I have four kids, a wife, a marriage work, all this kind of stuff. And we're trying to figure out how do we put all this stuff together where we can work together as a family. And sometimes that can get really hard. And so Loam, what they did is they created a calendar that allows you to sit down with your kids. It's customizable. There are visual routine trackers, so you can put things like uh, chore charts, bedtime charts, 
uh, when your kids should brush your teeth, when lights should be out, all that kind of stuff. It's all in here. They even have image view, which is really cool. So for us, we have young ones, like three-year-old and one-year-olds. Obviously, they can't read yet, but you can use image view. And so it pulls up the calendar and they can just see visuals like, oh, it's dinner time or it's time to brush my teeth or whatever. So really cool way to incorporate the whole family, even those who can't read. If you get stuck and you're like, I don't know what we should put in our calendar as a whole family. I just always put work or whatever in there. But you want to get the whole family involved. They actually have inspirational ideas for shared time together. They'll, they'll have ideas for meals, activities, fun conversations, all kinds of stuff that you can import directly into the calendar really, really easily. And lastly, they work with all the other calendars. They're continuing to update to get more and more calendars. But if you got like a Gmail calendar you want or a Google calendar you want to throw in there, no problem. It will easily sync to that. They have a really cool offer. This was created by Dad Tired listeners, guys who love Jesus, love their family, and are trying to create more intentional time with their family. They created a special offer just for you, the Dad Tired listeners. If you go to withloam.com forward slash Dad Tired, again, that's withloam, L-O-M-E, dot com forward slash dad tired they're going to give you a code to try your first month for free you use the code dad tired at checkout all one word dad tired at checkout you'll get your first month free again that's with loam.com forward slash dad tired use the promo code dad tired at checkout all one word and you'll get your first month free just to give you one more example social media wow i can hear from all my friends on facebook and they can share videos with me well the problem is some people want to share videos that are absolutely horrible So there's this thing called content moderation that probably employs a million people around the world, mostly not in the United States. And what those people do is they intercept all the videos of things that should never, first of all, a video should never have been taken. And it certainly should never be shared of the most horrible things that can happen to a human being and happen in our world. And these people are sitting at screens eight hours a day. They're monitored by productivity monitoring software. They have roughly 20 seconds. I think maybe even less to assess every video, they see the headings, they see rapes, they see torture, and they have to decide, like, do we let this through and onto Andy's Facebook feed or do we intercept it? And I get a nice sanitized social media experience at the expense of a person whose name I never see and who I don't know, having to literally bathe themselves in filth for eight hours a day. And they, they burn out, they have huge trauma, it's secondhand trauma, so the real shadow side of this chart is that if you go back to the, the superpower thing, like it's not really very good for me even by taking action and effort and difficulty out of my life, I'm sort of dwindling in my capacities. So, and I'm the beneficiary of this whole thing, but you're but the best case. Scenario. I'm the best, you're, you're, the, yes. you're the reward of all of this. Yeah. It's right. still not great. Yeah. It's still not great for me. And I see in my kids, it's not good for them. And I see in my society, it's not good for us. And we're on the like winning end. And then the price of it is using people to do things that people were never meant to do. Man, Are you this, uh, feeling hopeful now? Well, this is, I want to get to hopeful part. This is hope. <laughs> There's a couple of things on that. First, I don't remember where I heard what you were just describing. I want to be clear here because I know we're in a really hot political climate. And what you just described was not just like, quote unquote, misinformation, news article. We're not talking about that. We're talking oh, no, about, no, no, no. we're talking about right, literally good. what you described. No, we're talking about beheadings, like, rape, yeah, yeah, yeah. child pornography, right, right, right. the worst of the worst yeah, yeah, yeah. in human. And there's somebody yeah. literally sitting at a computer looking at these things, images and videos yep. 
and decided again, not news articles, not misinformation. No, no, no. no. That's the, good. That's the most brutal thing that they Just could the possibly worst. see That's in right. humanity and deciding, oh, that probably shouldn't go on somebody's newsfeed. Right. And eight hours a day, every day, being yep. bombarded with these images. Yep. And so, so I just wanted to be clear yeah, on no, that. Yeah, no, that's like, helpful. That's, and I, and I did read about, that. I can't remember if I read about that or where I heard about mm -hmm. that. It's insane to think about. And I think you described it so well. On the back end of that is a sanitized version of my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed or whatever. Yep. I kind of get the clean version. And so just, just to really, you made the point very clearly, but I just want to overemphasize yeah. On the back end, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. And then on the front end, what we're seeing is still not great for us. Like exactly, it's still not great for us as the consumer. Before we get to the hope and the good news, and how do you think, as followers of Jesus, <laughs> we can give good news to this bad news? I think there's a lot of us who are still, even hearing this, there's still part of us, even part of me, who's like, it still kind of sounds like it's not that bad, right? Like if we just keep uh, moving towards more productivity and Life's yeah. going to look at all the things I can accomplish on my phone and on this computer and in my yeah. life. It, is it really that bad? Like it, it can't, my life just can continue to be better. <laughs> and so I guess I want to, my question is like, how is this affecting humans? How's it affecting humanity? How's it affecting our relationships and our families? Like what are the actual mm. ramifications mm. that this kind of superpower lifestyle is causing us? I want to acknowledge, like in the end, I do believe that, there is a really good use for almost all the things we've invented. So I wouldn't be having this conversation if I didn't believe there was a way to have a, a truly fruitful conversation over Zoom, recorded on a podcast, yeah. shared with other people. I yeah. do believe that. I'm not sure if I'm answering your, your question, but, but just to clarify, it's not so much that these capabilities that we would have to just like forswear them and just say, I'll, I'll never use that for anything. But I do have to change my dream of what I use it for. And maybe we can talk about that a little more in a moment. But if I don't change my dream, the, the superpower, I call it the superpower zone in the book, because it's we get into this zone where we feel so like, you know, like it's when you're kind of pounding through email or you're scrolling through social media and like you're, you're getting so much information and you're, it's very quick. It's very, the rewards are very fast, all that stuff or like hitting fast forward or, you know, hitting the next episode button on, on Netflix is like, Ooh, another one, another one, another one. Right. But the problem is it rarely leaves room for the most developmental formative things in our lives. So we have to reframe how we use these things. So they become what I turn to when it is my time to do some really effective work, by all means use this stuff. But when it's my when it's the time, and this needs to be a lot of our days to like really develop as a human being, <laughs> I need to not go to the superpower zone. And the problem is the superpower zone is so dang appealing, right? So in the book, I talk about the difference between the superpower zone and this thing that Mihai Csikszentmihalyi called flow. Flow is like what great pro athletes experience. It's been studied in athletes. It's been studied in musicians. It's when you're like, it's peak performance. It's the psychological experience of peak performance. And it happens when you get really deep into really good work of, of any kind, highly skilled, good work of any kind. And the superpower zone mimics that, but it does so in an addictive way that deceives you about how effective you are. Like a great example of this is video games. So yeah. why is it so hard for a 10-year-old to stop playing a video game? 
if any of you have tried to stop, like tried to get a 10 year old to come to dinner. I mean, the resistance, it can be truly, it it feels like, are you possessed? Like what has happened to you? Right. Well, what's happened is that 10 year old is experiencing way more effectiveness than they have in their 10 year old body. So they're like a Navy seal on a beach or they're like a mm-hmm. NFL quarterback or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. So they have way more efficaciousness <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's way less demanding than it would be to go out and play soccer in the backyard or throw a football with their brother or whatever. And that's so intoxicating that we really are very reluctant to let go. And we have withdrawal symptoms when we do, which is really interesting in contrast to flow. Cause one of the strange things about flow is you have these moments where, and hopefully many people who are listening to this, hopefully you and I have had this experience where you just, you're just doing something really well. And when that ends, you don't feel like you have to hold on. Like say you are a great basketball player, you play, you know, an amazing game, but at the end of the game, you're not like, no, 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 I've got to get back out. I mean, maybe there's a few people who have an unhealthy relationship with basketball, but most people are like, that was an amazing game. Wow. I can't believe I got to do that with my teammates. And there's this kind of grateful, graceful exit hmm. and the superpower zone, you, you never exit willingly. You're dragged away from it. And of course, we know the worst examples of this are porn and mm-hmm. you know, drugs and like they're hijacking the exact same circuitry in us and desire to feel like we're really getting something done. And we know how just we get swept away in, in those things. Well, you just described the flow or as a musician would say, like you're in the pocket. Yes, exactly. You're in the pocket. You just, you're like, you're there. It's your, your vibe and you can feel the rhythm and, and (laughs) yeah. So some, a lot of us who are listening were born in a world where technology at its, it was just getting introduced in the way that it currently is now. Like we we knew what it was like to play with your friends outside until it got dark. And our kids were born with cell phones in their hands and screens in their faces. Right. So there's some nostalgia for me because I can remember what things were like. And it's always, it's, you know, we're, it's the classic, like, Oh, well, back when I was a kid, you know, no, no, no dad wants to say that, but there is, there is this kind of like nostalgic uh, yeah, memories yeah. of pre technology being the over yeah. where we didn't have as many superpowers again. Yeah. We, we were in a very superpower world, but not as yeah. many, I guess. I guess my question, as I'm trying to think about it in the moment, is for my kids who never, they don't have that nostalgia, or I guess, how do you build it? How do you get them to experience the flow? Yeah. So two thoughts. I want to respectfully disagree a little bit with Please. one of the premises. Tell me where my premises You said on. they yeah. were born with cell phones in their hands, screens in their faces. And, and of course, you knew you were exaggerating, but there's this phrase digital natives like you know well kids today they're just digital natives like this is their world yeah and i really want to push back on that because i don't think it's true we were born as human beings as babies looking for a face not a screen Mm. every single and that includes kids being born today who yeah Mm. and i'll tell you when the screen was introduced in their lives was at a moment of distress so the two-year-old is bored, the two-year-old's angry, or perhaps the parents are angry and need a break or, you know, and there was a moment of distress early in their lives where someone said, well, you know, here, try this, this will soothe you. This will give yeah. you a sense of efficacy. It'll solve a problem, whether you're a problem or the parents problem. The reality is most of the time we give screens, first of all, to solve the parents' problems, yes. not the kids' problems. Yes. And at that moment, that whatever age it was, two years old, eight, eight years old, whatever, 
they learned, oh, this thing will give me a lot of what I want without asking as much or being as difficult as life is with my parents and my sister. But it is not what they start. Any of us, none of us mm. to this moment, no human yeah, being arrives looking yeah, for the good. device. That's good. The device is introduced when life becomes hard. Yeah. And unfortunately, wow. way too early, I would say, for children. Yeah. And this is why in our family, and I would do it again today, and I, I think our kids will say they will, our kids are 24 and 21 now, they don't have children of their own, but but they would definitely say they are planning like no screens before age 10, because no screens mm-hmm. until double digits. So don't believe in digital natives. Whoever's listening to this, your children are not digital natives. They are human natives. They're embodied heart, soul, mind, strength yeah. <laughs> persons. And, and the only reason they settle for digital is, first of all, they were taught to by their environment and frankly, mm-hmm. by us. <laughs> yep. And also it is satisfying in certain superficial ways, but they also feel disillusioned with it. I actually mm-hmm. think this is the difference between like uh, the millennials as parents and Gen X as parents. Gen X was like, ooh, technology is shiny. This will be great. Okay, kid. And millennials like, oh, I don't want to give my kid a cell phone, but the soccer team needs a cell phone. You're like, there's a lot more yeah. ambivalence. And the kids yeah. themselves are ambivalent. The other thing is, when you get dragged away from the superpower zone, you go through massive withdrawal, but it disappears. And it's interesting. Like after that horrible, horrible conflicted exit, like within even minutes or hours, you you try to look back and remember what it was like. And it's like strangely empty. It leaves behind compulsion, but it doesn't leave behind joy. Yeah. And so if you send your kids just very concretely, <laughs> drag them away from the screen and drag yourself away from the screen, because I think this only works when the whole family does it and say, we're going to go out in the backyard for an hour. The first 15 minutes is going to be horrible. It's going to be like, we're bored, uh, you know, conflict, my brother is blah, blah, blah. And then there's this amazing thing that happens and they rediscover the joy of how much fun you can have with no superpowers. So the thing is the parent in this scenario, the parent has to be willing to bear the pain of that initial disengagement from the superpower zone. Cause it is, it's, it's painful. Like, and it's just annoying too. It's like, okay, fine. Just go back and do what you want. But if we provide the, the like emotional infrastructure for them to make it through that 15 minutes on the other side of that, they're going to have a kind of fun and they're going to sleep that night with a kind of rest that they haven't had in a long time. So We've got, and all of us need this because it is not a kid thing versus a parent thing. All of us just need to shut the thing off that's giving you the superpowers, deal with the distress that will be the next feeling. And on the other side of that, you are going to have some experience that's really good. From it's just like if we'd set the gospel aside, if we set all religious things aside, and we just said like, hey, you should take like a technology break (laughs) and just see how you feel. Most people would be like, I actually feel a lot better. You know, like yeah, I, absolutely. I spent a week in Africa before and we didn't have any cell phone access. We had no internet access. In fact, even during one of the, they had the electricity was really spotty and it went out. And so yeah. at the church, they were singing in the middle of a worship song yes. and it went out. And then we all had to just use our voices. Yes. And you, and you went from like, man, this is really good. We're singing to God to like, oh, this feels like heaven. Like this feels, exactly. this is, feels even exactly. better. Exactly. And this is all the one good thing is at least for the moment, it's all available just essentially by throwing a couple switches. Like, so you you think about what happens. I don't know. It's not great when the power goes out for weeks because we've not built our world to be able to handle that. But when the power goes out for a a night, you know how amazing it is. Like you find the candles and something 
amazing happens in a home, a family with kids when the power's out for an evening or, you know, maybe a day. Well, we can literally turn the power off anytime we want. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like there's a breaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Use the breaker. And this is why I'm fundamentally hopeful is, and maybe this starts to get to, you know, so what can we do? So we can, first of all, we can use the breaker. I, I'm such a believer in the Sabbath principle. You know, I talked about in the TechWise family, one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year, where we really, we in our home, we literally turn off anything that has a switch or an ability to turn it off. Gets yeah, I'll just, off. if I could inter- interrupt you for yeah, a second, yeah. something I took from your last book and the last time you were on our show is the candlelit dinners. Our, that has been a hit for oh, our my family goodness. and our oh, friends. That's People love it. And I yes. we do it all the time. And yes. even when we have friends over, our kids will turn off the lights and light the candles. And they're like, what the heck is going on? You know, our kids, our friends are like, what is, but it has been the absolute hit of our family. Oh, and so, yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan, but anyway, I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah. So one thing to do is, is use the off switch, you create a rhythm so that the best parts of your day and the best parts of your life have this rhythm of on and off. But then another thing we can do is decide whenever I do use these the technological layer, the technological stack of, of affordances and possibilities. I'm going to use it in a way that as much as possible involves me the way I, I like to think of it is, you know, Jesus says the great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So to be a human being, to be a person is to be a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love. <laughs> and I should use any technology I have to maximize my heart, investment, my soul investment, my mind investment, and ideally my strength investment. So right now, what are we doing? We're having a conversation where I'm definitely having to use my mind because you are listening carefully. You're you're responding. You're asking really good questions. You're doing the same. It's definitely accessing my heart because we're talking about most things that stir emotion and should. We're trying to do it with depth of soul. Now, the one limitation actually is we're not doing a lot with our bodies. Like our strength is kind of underused here in a way. But as soon as we finish, I'm going to take a walk and we would have, honestly, we, we would have a better conversation if we were able to go for a walk. Like right. the best yeah. way to, to have a deep conversation is to be moving through the world. Jesus mm. did it. Socrates did it <laughs> before mm. the modern era. It was the main way people like had deep conversations. They didn't kind of sit and look in a screen. So, so I can either use this computer that I'm using to talk to you right now as a total device that totally disengages heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and just gives me these superpower simulations. Or I can decide to use it more like, uh, I call this like moving from a device to an instrument. An instrument can be high technology, but it requires me to invest and it develops me as I invest. I feel that way about this time we're spending together. I'm being changed by it. I'm being stretched by it because it's not consumption. It's creation. It's effort. It's attention. And the goal is to take everything that wants to be a device in our world and turn it into an instrument. <laughs> and then also in the long run, we need to basically say to the device manufacturers, you need to be out of business manufacturing superpowers and into the business of manufacturing things that help us extend our capacities in ways that uh, involve flow. And that can happen. Like there are amazing scientific instruments, musical instruments, medical instruments, and that's where technology needs to go to be good for human beings. And you think you have hope, by the way, that's beautiful. And you have hope that like we can course correct that <laughs> in such a way that I think you know where I'm going with the question, but I'll just throw yeah. this other thought. What I had my good buddy on a few months ago and we were talking about the analogy that I kept coming up with 
was that the whole world is playing to the same, living to the same radio station. We're all tuned into huh. the same radio station. And one of the beautiful things about that as a Christian is that we can turn the station and yes. offer the world something yes. they've, they've never heard. Yes. And it's, and it's actually like, oh, what is that? That feels different. That sounds different than what I've heard. And we have such opportunity for good news. As we wrap up here, I'd love to just hear yeah. kind of your final thoughts. Like, what is the good news that we can offer the world in this, this context, in this climate? So the reason I believe, first of all, that things can really change, the only reason I believe it is it's happened before. The Roman Empire was a brutally exploitative, dehumanizing place for most people. And it mm. was not a great place even to be a powerful person, just like our world. Mm. And right in the middle of that world arose a movement of people who had a, they listened to a different station mm. <laughs> and their neighbors knew it. And their neighbors were sometimes freaked out by it. And the empire for a while was so threatened by it that it killed huge numbers of them. Yeah. But what they were offering was so much better than what the empire could offer that Decade after decade, that movement grew by 30% a year. And it was starting from such a small number that for a hundred years, you couldn't even see it. There's a hundred years where outside of the Christian texts themselves, what we call the New Testament and the early patristic writings, no Roman administrator is writing about these Christians. It's not in the news. It's because we kind of all learned this with COVID-19, like epidemiology, like it starts tiny, 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 and it can be growing 30%, 30%, but you don't see it for so long. But then that exponential thing keeps happening. And that happened by the fourth century. And suddenly half the empire is Christian. And then the emperor, whether sincerely or just kind of being a smart politician becomes a Christian and it changed. And in AD 60, 20 to 30% of the empire is enslaved by the end, by the time Christians have truly kind of, and there's a lot of complexity in how Christians took over the Roman empire, but by the end of that story, there's basically no enslavement of that kind anymore because everyone is now treated with a new level of dignity, with a new level of expectation of what they can contribute as a person to society. Like it's, it's a revolution that takes hundreds of years. I think that's what can happen. And by the grace of God, I don't know. I don't know that I'm authorized to say will happen, but it's really up to us whether it happens. And the good news is this is not just a matter of beliefs that our neighbors might agree or disagree about with us on, but it's about a different way of being human that fundamentally is so much better. And it's not just you and me who have tasted it. Our neighbors also taste it because they're made to love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors themselves, right? They're made for this just like we are. And so if we live this authentically, it's so much more about like praxis than theory, like more action than mere belief. But if we live this way, I so believe it will lead to people coming back into the fullness of life they were made for. And I just completely believe it's within our grasp, even while the empire, the technological empire goes on doing its thing. Mammon goes on doing its thing. We don't have to do that thing. I'm going to take your radio station thing yeah, with me well, forever. Please, that's, yeah, that's it. I, I've, we're I've, gonna... stole, I've stole a lot of your stuff. So we'll just <laughs> share <laughs> each other's ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I so believe it, Jared. And this conversation encourages me. It's not out of yeah. reach. Like it's so available. Yeah. Andy, every time I'm with you, man, I always feel certain things in myself, hmm. you know, on a kind of a daily basis. And then you, you articulate the things that I'm feeling so well. And I think that's one of the gifts 
God's given you and the way that he's wired you and, and your brain and your ability to communicate a lot of what many of us are feeling, but just don't know how to say it. And so hmm. I'm excited for everyone listening to go get your book, The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. It comes out April 19th, 2022. So if you're listening before that, just go pre-order a copy of that. Uh, if you're listening after, go grab it right now. Either way, just go pick up a copy of it, leave a review. Man, I'm always so encouraged by you, man hanging out with you thank you for taking the time likewise thank you jared thank you and uh even though we used a little bit of a superpower to do this i think that we hit the uh mind there was some flow mind so there was some flow we we got in the pocket (laughs) (laughs) thanks man i appreciate you all right thank you Man, such a thought-provoking conversation. I really hope that that was helpful for you. As a reminder, this is the last week to get our early bird pricing on our Dad Tired annual retreat for this fall. Make sure you go to dadtired.com forward slash retreat to get signed up for that before pricing jumps up. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.